Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 37, and we're reviewing A Silent Voice. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. And how fitting, because I am currently battling allergies, so my voice might sound a bit silent to all of you. Silent or raspy? (laughs) Maybe raspy, maybe silent, who knows. Well, on my end... You sound fine, so hopefully you'll be okay. Perfect. I am so, so, so excited to talk about A Silent Voice because it's probably one of my favorite, if not almost my favorite, anime movie of all time. But before we get into that, um, I was uh, I was dicking around on our podcast analytics mm-hmm. <laughs> recently. I like to kind of poke around, see what's going on with our podcasts, um, and, and see what the analytics can tell me about all of you guys, our listeners. And I, I found um, some cool stats on the countries in which we are listened. Is that did I is that sentence structure correct? The countries in well, which we, are we have being listened to. <laughs> the countries in which we have listeners. Um, so I thought it'd be fun to share some of that and give some quick shout outs to the folks in those countries. So I it's a pretty long list. Um, I mean, to be fair, there's a huge chunk of countries where there's probably like one, two, maybe three listeners, but the list overall, um, I think at any point since we started our podcast is probably almost 50 countries so it's kind of cool to know that we've touched many corners of the world even if we don't have like constant listeners coming in from from most of those places but still fun to see so our top 10 countries in which we have um the most listeners number one is the u.s of course because we are based in the u.s number two is india number three is the uk Number four is Canada. Number five is Australia. Number six is Brazil. Number seven is El Salvador. Number eight is the Philippines, which wow. holds a special place in both of our hearts because we're both Filipino. Mabuhay. <laughs> um, number nine is Singapore. And number 10 is Indonesia. And a special shout out to the few of you who are listening from Japan, because that is some mad pressure on our end. <laughs> the uh, the birthplace of anime is uh, is listening to us to a certain degree, so we will do our best to, to make you proud. <laughs> I'm sure they have very high expectations of our podcast episodes. It's kind of cool. It's like strictly worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> We're worldwide, I, yeah, baby. Forget Pitbull, Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> this is strictly worldwide. But yes, shout out to everyone from those top 10 countries, as well as everyone around the world that listens to us, um, both here at Strictly Anime and at Strictly JoJo. We very much appreciate all of you. We appreciate everyone who's reached out to us so far. Um, we love to connect with our listeners. So if you're ever thinking about sending us a message, shooting us an email, whether you want to just say hi. Sending us souvenirs from your country. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Whether you want to say hi or maybe comment on you know any of the anime that we reviewed or make suggestions, we're all ears. We, we love connecting with you guys. So please, please, please don't be shy. Reach on out to us. <laughs> <laughs> now on to the main event, A Silent Voice, this wonderful, wonderful anime movie. Um, I don't know which of us should go first because I think we have not like super differing opinions on the movie, but I would say that they are, they are different. 
do you want to start? Do you want me to start? Because we've both, for context, we've both watched this movie twice now. So, um, yeah. So we're, we're pretty on par there. Yeah, I mean, I the first time I watched this was a couple weeks ago just because I had nothing to do on, on a weekend. So this was on my watch list for a while. And again, with you having watched this first, however many years ago, I think closer to when it actually was released. I think uh, I watched it probably like early 2017 when did the movie actually come out let's take a quick peek here so fun fact this film came out in 2016 and you know what other film came out at or in the same year is it an anime film or is it like a non-anime film it was your name whoa (laughs) wait they came out at the same time they came out at least in japan i believe they came out in the same year because according to wikipedia um, a Silent Voice opened at number two at the Japanese box office behind Makoto Shinkai's Your Name. Oh, damn. So, yeah, there was <laughs> some steep competition oh, yeah. um, in anime cinema that year. I do recall when when those two movies came out because it was such a, a tone shift for anime, at least in my eyes. Um, I I think that these movies kind of put anime movies on a pedestal because for the longest time mm-hmm. you, you had studio okay i don't know if people pronounce it ghibli or ghibli but you had those <laughs> you had those films which are classics for forever um and nothing could really touch those and a lot of anime movies were you know non canon canonical can't canonical. <laughs> canonical non-canonical um films attached to a series that were just like extra content for you know fans who wanted to see more um but then these two movies come along and i feel like again that changed the game because these were standalone stories that weren't just out there just to be out there like they made a huge impact i mean your name is still a top recommendation for um for anime viewers and for non-anime viewers there's that that rumor that comes and goes about your name being made into a live action i don't know what the what the the status is on that Yeah, jj abrams is supposedly attached to that yeah so it's like that that's a huge deal um to have um, like actual good quality standalone anime films that weren't studio ghibli slash ghibli again however you you choose to pronounce it um so i, I do recall the hype that came um with these two coming out i just had no idea that they were released like so close to each other yeah i found out actually after watching the movie um that yeah they were released in the same year so again with me watching this now in 2021 obviously there was a lot of expectations from from the hype that the hype. that the community the anime community and of course you placed <laughs> on this film and i'll admit it, I, I like the film it was again because it was significantly different from the other anime films that we've seen recently um to your point again the ones that aren't necessarily canonical or the one like the films that are kind of overshadowed with studio ghibli's work um yeah this one it it takes a a very mature topic or a very heavy topic of again suicide and loneliness which you don't really i guess you wouldn't necessarily see in an animated movie overall whether or not it's from japan or from any other, other part of the world but it deals with it with a very surprising amount of grace and it's also a movie that's just filled to the brim with symbolism and i'll kind of we'll kind of go into that as we go into the synopsis and discussion um i will say that the film 
when I after watching it, it it feels like it takes a lot of different snapshots of the main character Ishida's redemption journey um, in establishing his relationship with Nishimiya, where it feels like it could be made up of several different like episodic arts arcs had this been an anime and it kind of makes sense because i believe this is adapted from a manga so i can see why the movie is structured like so so i think it's it didn't seem as consistent as a film like a traditional film like your name where i think every scene in those kinds of movies are like directly connected to that overarching plot but i still I still enjoyed this movie for what what it presented. Are your thoughts kind of the same? Your sentiments kind of the same? Yes, but amplified. So, I mean, just being totally honest, I loved this movie when I first watched it early 2017. Um, again, it's I, I can't at this point, I don't know what like my number one favorite anime movie is, but I can tell you like this is one of the top ones for sure. Um, and after this rewatch, I can tell you, I still love this movie so much. It's beautiful. It's cinematic and artistic. It's touching. It's an emotional story. I adore everything about this movie. It's not perfect by any means. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the pacing is odd and, and some of the things felt rushed and learning actually just today earlier, right before we started recording that there was a manga. It does make sense um that you know maybe some things were rushed or skipped over or not fully flushed out because they're trying to cram a several volume manga into a two-hour movie but um like i just i i love everything about it i get such major feels from this movie and it's not like sad depressing feels no no pun intended because movies about depression it's more just like just like just overall feels like I just I get on a high and and I'm on this high for like several days after watching this movie um and yeah I just I can't gush enough about it um again it's not perfect there are some gripes I have that we'll talk about but um I don't know I just I think this movie is so well done and the entire time that I'm watching I just want to give Ishida a big fucking hug and just like make the poor guy feel better i've never felt so um not like sad for him but there's never been such like an endearing character before um Mm -hmm. at least in my eyes like there are a lot of endearing characters in anime i've talked before about itadori um from jujutsu kaisen being a very endearing character that i love but i think honestly i think ishida has to be one of the top for me like he just everything that he goes through and everything that he tries to um um you know do in order to to receive forgiveness from those that he's hurt i'm just like oh i love him so much but anyway i won't dive into that too much right now we'll we'll save that for when we get into the the nitty-gritty yeah just to comment on that a little bit more i think it's just because of you see the effort that ishida puts in to make things right with nishimiya that he he is a very like he's a character that you sympathize with from the get-go, even after seeing all the terrible things he's done to her. But I guess on the flip side, I found myself wanting to protect Nishimiya more, um, just because like she's just this very wholesome character, and you know she she ne- doesn't necessarily do anything wrong. I mean, she puts a lot of the blame on herself throughout the movie for what happened with Ishida. But when we're first introduced to her, all she wants to do is just make friends, right? Yeah. And I, I think I also chalks it, uh, I also chalk it up to the way that the animators 
animated the character because she's just this cute little girl with this very not like kawaii face like an like, innocent face yeah she's like soft pink hair but yeah you can't help but feel for her like when she like gets sad or especially when um in the first part of the movie where uh ishida gets into a, a fight with her and she says the the line like i'm doing the best i can like that made my heart wrench a bit because again you just feel like you want to protect her like throughout this whole movie um and by the way this movie was animated by kyoto animation um which i know was rec- like in the news recently or at least a couple years ago um with that arson so as unfortunate as that incident was um it was nice to see them produce such a great work as this yeah i mean right off the bat within the first frames of this movie it's absolutely stunning it looks gorgeous the mm-hmm. environment looks gorgeous the colors um the animation just absolutely amazing and i would expect nothing less from kyo andy like they they kill it every single time they they produce something um now to to be fair you can't always just rely on great animation there have been things that they put out where the animation as always is spot on but the story's not there so really at the end of the day it's not a great piece of work but this is not the case here like it's stunning animation coupled with fantastic storytelling and it's just yeah they blew it out of the water i want to say like they established ray tracing before ray tracing even became popular there was so many instances in this movie where i noticed like there was so much light um coming towards the camera yeah and for a movie that's about depression um and suicide and bullying and all of that it is such a bright movie like Mm -hmm. like visually it's very bright the um even the way that the characters are drawn there's no harsh lines everything's very soft and even in the writing too like it's it's weird because it's a very emotional film but you feel like it's supposed to be a feel-good film the way that it's written Mm -hmm. and i think that's something that's very surprising to me because in anime i mean drama is like everything sometimes like holy shit some of these anime like they just go over the top with the fucking drama but your uh i almost said your name a silent voice doesn't do that um it again deals with very heavy themes but even in the most intense moments of the film it still feels soft like even when two of the women are beating on each other like it's not even a violent fight it's just like them kind of hitting each other versus other anime where you'd have like some huge production between a fist fight or with a fist fight between two people they just show you just two people hitting each other but it's like done in a way that is still emotionally jarring because you know what's fueling that moment for them so i don't know mm. that's the best way i can i can describe it like high level is just yeah everything is the balance between the heavy themes and the soft visuals um and storytelling i think is um it's spot on yeah i was gonna say the exact same thing like as much as this isn't a feel-good movie it has the same traits of a feel-good movie where it you don't leave it feeling like ultra depressed or anything and i think it's just the movie striking a nice balance between the drama of it which again to your point it doesn't over exaggerate the drama but also balancing it with the human nature of the film as well and with that let's go ahead and jump right into our summary and discussion for a silent voice to start off a silent voice is a 2016 japanese animated teen psychological drama film produced by kyoto animation directed by naoko yamada and written by reiko yoshida 
based on the manga of the same name written and illustrated by Yoshitoki Oima. Sorry if I got caught off guard. I took that um, summary from Wikipedia, but for them to phrase it as like a psychological drama film makes it sound like a thriller. Yeah. (laughs) That aside, um, what we're going to do with this synopsis is we're actually going to split it into three parts, uh, focusing on what we feel are the three proper quote-unquote acts of this movie to kind of help collect our thoughts and analyze this movie as piece by piece as we can. So, the film begins at the end, specifically Japanese high schooler Shoya Ishida's end, as he gets all his affairs in order before attempting to anhero off a bridge. Ishida, however, backs out at the last second and decides to tie up a loose end instead. The film then rewinds to Ishida's sixth grade days, where a deaf student named Shoko Nishimiya joins his class. Nishimiya struggles to communicate with her fellow classmates, and it is only made worse by Ishida's constant bullying of her. Ishida ends up being the scapegoat when the school staff inquires about who's been fucking around, and thus the bully ends up being the bullied. Ishida roughs up Nishimiya for poisoning their water supply, burning their crops, delivering a plague unto their houses, and overall bringing his life misery, and she subsequently transfers to another school, though Ishida holds on to a notebook Nishimiya used to talk to other people. Was that a Spongebob reference? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It was when At first bu- I was like, when did they burn crops? <laughs> it was when Bubble Boy destroyed the town. But <laughs> First off, let's talk about the title card because the film is officially known as a silent voice. But in the title card, it says the shape of voice. Which is the literal translation, is I it? believe. Um, because the Japanese is koe no katachi. And when I Googled it, I don't know how reliable Google Translate is. It literally translates to a silent voice. So katachi is um, the Japanese word for form, shape, figure. Um, All right, you're the Japanese studies. Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> Please don't think very much of that. Um, so koe no katachi is like literally, literally translates to shape of voice or because um, koe means voice. Okay. And the the sentence structure is like flipped. It's reversed with English. Um, so yes, the literal translation is the shape of voice, um, which I don't think would come across very clear to English speaking audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that a silent voice is a more appropriate localized title. But yes, it is very off putting when you pull it up on Netflix, you hit play and the title card says the shape of voice. And you're like, wait, is this the right movie? <laughs> is this bootlegged or something? Yeah, I guess it's kind of like how sometimes um, like English translation of Japanese things are a little bit too literal. Although I can kind of see what, like in terms of like calling it the shape of voice, it's more of like Ishida trying to form how he can communicate his thoughts and feelings with Nishimiya. But I think a silent voice just sounds more poetically interesting yeah and it is confusing because i thought going into the the first time i watched the movie i didn't read the synopsis so i was like oh she's gonna be um mute but no she's actually deaf she can talk um Mm -hmm. she just you know doesn't have it's mute right when you when you're not you're unable to to vocalize anything 
I think yeah, mute is like you completely can't vocalize. So she's not entirely mute because she can still speak. Yeah, exactly. So voice, that's why I thought but... when I read a silent voice, I was like, oh, she that that mm. would be her disability is that she's unable to speak, but it's that she's unable to hear. Yeah. Um. So it it was a little misleading for me. But then again, I like I said, I, I didn't read the synopsis beforehand. I just heard some hype around this, and I was like, all right, I'll I'll watch it, and I'm glad I did. Yeah, I think for it to be called a silent voice that. Again, the silence part symbolizes um, Ishida's like unwillingness to vocalize his apology um, to Ishimiya, and also that he just feels so isolated from everyone throughout the movie because of that, because of the bullying that he put upon her um, in her younger days. Yeah, and I feel like um, to add to that, a silent voice is more like the cries for help that we see throughout this movie from both. Nishimiya and Ishida mm. um, that they're struggling with depression and, and thoughts of suicide. I mean, we see a lot more of that on Ishida's side um, where he kind of thinks like, you know, it would be better if I wasn't here or like he's looking at a bridge and looking down at the water and just kind of, I don't know, probably imagining in his head like what would happen if I jump right now. So I think that's after I realized that she was not mute, that she was deaf, I was like, okay, well, then maybe a silent voice is about the um the difficulties expressing you know that you have depression or accepting depression or, or any of that stuff mm. so lots of symbolism as i alluded to earlier <laughs> right off the bat <laughs> yeah and to kind of go off of that um visuals wise again watching this on our second run, or like yeah, our second run through i noticed there are two visual motifs that were introduced at the very beginning of the film and that's again with Ishida um, leading up to his suicide attempt. Um, the first visual is obviously the bridge. And I think like we see the main bridge that appears in this movie is the one that um, Ishida and Nishimiya visit frequently to, to feed the carp and, the, and that random koi fish. Um, but I think the bridge kind of serves as a physical metaphor that again connects these two characters um, emotionally later on. The second motif is, I didn't notice this the first time, is the fireworks that go off right before Ishida decides to jump because that's what kind of snaps him out of it. And I noticed that fireworks occurred during both suicide attempts of um, in this film. Oh, I didn't notice that. Mm -hmm. So I'll kind of go into in depth uh, later on when we talk about Ishimiya's attempt. I thought the opening... For this anime was or this anime movie was so cool i mean like it was just it was so cool it was very unique for an anime movie or for anime in general to have this type of like i, I call it quote-unquote american style opening um because the opening song was my generation yes yeah, my generation by the who which is a great song and a great band. Um, so it felt to me like an opening to to any like early two thousands um, American film, like some like high school film, like whatever. It's like kind of. it's like the montage you get in the beginning where you see like the school and the characters and stuff, and they're all just kind of dicking around and everything. Like that's what this felt like. It felt just like that. And I thought that was so cool for an anime movie to have. Um, so I, I was I just love that. That, that hooked me in immediately when I first started watching it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think this whole first act, so it was first off surprising that immediately you get a suicide attempt by the main character. And that's when I knew I was like, oh my God, this movie's 
not what I expected. It's going to be heavy. This movie's <laughs> going to be the fucking feels. Um, but then watching the flashback to them back in their sixth grade class, is that right? Mm-hmm. It was just interesting. Like the whole time I was frustrated. Like the, the second watch through, I was just frustrated at the whole situation that was happening. You mean with watching Ishida's actions when Nishimiya entered the school? Not even that. Just like, okay, so I think what frustrated me the most is like the the development of students at first liking Nishimiya. Nishi, oh my God. I, Nishimiya. Nishimiya. Or you could call her Shoko. <laughs> I'm trying to like, I think my brain's trying to blunt Ishida and Nishimiya. Ishida? Um, Ishida? <laughs> um, so the students at first like Nishimiya and they they accept her and want to help her until it becomes too difficult and too burdensome to to have to help somebody with a disability and then they just decide that she's not worth the trouble even though she's Mm -hmm. kind to them and appreciates them that was kind of the first layer of frustration but what really frustrated me throughout this whole flashback part this first act is how absent or apathetic the teachers and faculty were to both the bullying that was, I mean, in my eyes, pretty clear to them. Um, they can't claim like, oh, I didn't know what was going on when fucking Ishida is like screaming behind <laughs> behind Ishima's head. Yeah, or even like mocking her voice yeah. during the uh, book reading. Yeah, all of that. Like it's very, very clear. Um, and so like the, the, that absent teaching is just very very frustrating and then it's not until nishimiya's mom brings her suspicions about bullying to the faculty that finally they're like oh someone's bullying the student and then the teacher with the glasses is like it's you ishida and i know it. it's like then why did you fucking say something so then mm-hmm. so that that was frustrating but then also um the lack of accommodation for um for Nishimiya with her disability was actually kind of surprising. And I, I did feel this way the first time I watched it as well. I was just kind of like, in, in my head, I kind of noted, I'm like, it's interesting that like they bring her into the situation where, yeah, she can hear to a slight degree with her um, her hearing aids, but really she can't hear. Mm-hmm. It's very obvious she's struggling to to keep up in class. And it wasn't until like much later into this flashback that they finally had a teacher come in to start teaching sign language only three minutes a day though so i was just like is this real life like is this a legit thing where because in school for me like if somebody had in a disability or needed an accommodation usually that was pretty obvious and and you know the school did what they could to make that work so for me i was like i don't know if they just did that for the story the sake of storytelling or if that's how it actually is or was in japan but i was just surprised by that and frustrated by that so all those things kind of combined made me just like squirm sometimes when i was watching the flashback i don't know for me it seems pretty realistic um in terms of like the what you said about the the sixth grade class um for at first being welcoming to nishimiya and then realizing you know that it's too much effort for them to try to understand her or communicate with her i don't mean to offend any of our listeners out there but Young kids can kind of be dicks. Yeah. <laughs> so like, kids are jerks sometimes. Yeah. So I think it, it kind of reflects that moment of childhood where, you know, you kind of you don't realize the the um, consequences of your own actions, and so you're just out and about doing rebellious things just for the sake of being rebellious. And you see that with Ishida and and his cronies um, in the sixth grade. Um, in terms of the whole school thing like not having the adequate resources to accommodate shimia i grew up in um 
an urban setting um and so i went to a city public school and it was kind of like that like we did have special education classes that accommodated for certain individuals but not to the level where i i think they would be able to accommodate for a student who was deaf and so i think probably the same the school in this setting um was under the same circumstances because i'm sure like as with any school system you know funding is is always all over the place so i i don't know if they would ha- and have enough funding to go towards again accommodating a student with a with a disability i quickly wanted to go back to again the symbolism of this movie um we've talked about all right yeah we've talked about the visual symbolism but there's also i want to say like a musical symbolism as well um you would notice that wouldn't you (laughs) (laughs) i like i like music guys um but as you mentioned the, the movie starts off with um the montage that's being shown with uh the who's what is it called my generation um playing over the montage and i think what i notice is like as once that montage is over the music suddenly becomes muted and you hear a lot of piano throughout the score but the piano is a very muffled sound right it's not you can't clearly hear the notes it's as if you're listening to a piano with your ears covered um and so i think that's sort of like an audible representation of nishimiya's hearing disability but again there are different ways that the score in this film can be interpreted um, as the movie goes along. So I think a lot of credit should be given to the composer of this movie, who is Kensuke Ushio, for how well he intertwines, um, again, the music of the film with with the story. I didn't know that. Next time I watch it, I'm going to listen in for that. Oh, yeah. Or the, the soundtrack's on Spotify, if you want to give it a listen. It's as much as it's like... Not that this music's depressing, but in a way, it's also just very relaxing. Yeah, if I listen to it on Spotify, I have to be like alone in a room. Otherwise, I'm going to like start getting choked up (laughs) around other people and they'll be like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Listen to it at the gym while I'm working out. (laughs) Yeah. And also just to add more confusion, the the name of the soundtrack is A Shape of Light. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. It's like no one knows what the the movie's proper title is. At the end of this first act, it's it's interesting to see how quickly the tables turn, how the turn tables, um, how the tables turned on Ishida and, and the karma that he got um, like almost immediately after everything that he did to Nishimiya. Um, so again, the teacher calls out Ishida for bullying um, after you know the school gets reports about bullying and his so-called friends don't defend him. Um, in that moment and when he calls uh, calls them out for bullying as well not only do they deny it they also reject him as a friend immediately after that and then they begin to bully him in similar ways to how he bullied Nishimiya so there's this um also kind of these themes of like parallel lives that I notice Mm -hmm. because again the visuals of the actual bullying in act one are identical or very similar to what Ishida did to Nishimiya when she was being bullied um, in the earlier parts. And that that theme of kind of like the parallels um, continues throughout the movie. 
Um, for example, just the, the whole concept of hearing, right? Because at the end of the movie, sorry, I'm skipping around a little bit, but at the end of the movie, um, we see Ishida kind of uncover his ears when he starts to, I guess, have that moment of like overcoming his depression or starts to take a turn for that. And I think that's a parallel to Nishimiya, who literally can't hear. Here you have Ishida, who chooses not to hear because of the depression that he has and, and how he's kind of going through the self-punishment for everything that he did when he was a kid. Um, and there's there's other parallels, too, um, throughout this movie. But overall, the parallels that we see show us that even though Ishida and Nishimiya think that they're very different people, they're actually very, very similar, down to the fact that they both have depression and they both try to commit suicide. So this mm. is kind of the first instance of that is once Ishida kind of gets that flip switch, flip that switch, switch, that switch flip. flipped in his life where now he becomes the one who's being bullied. From that moment forward, his life becomes very parallel to Nishimiya's. And I would say like there, there's at that moment is where their stories just also become intertwined, almost like you know the the destiny of the Joe stars in, <laughs> in uh, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Because as much as Ishidia has... Ishidia? Ishi, why did I say Ishidia? Oh, now I'm combining. I know, Nishimiya <laughs> and Ishida are very similar. Um, but as much as Ishida has affected Nishimiya's life with his bullying, um, like Nishimiya sees how much like her, not her disability, but her burden on the class has become his burden um now that he's becoming the the target of the bullying and so that that last scene before we go back into the present where she she's seen cleaning up the the graffiti on his desk and ishida <laughs> said it again but ishida like he has like an angry response to that um and they have that they duke it out although it's not it, it becomes like a one-sided battle at the end um it, that's where like you can ha- kind of see like each of them has their own sort of depression in place because they see how much they've affected the other person's life and again when when nishimiya vocalizes like she says i'm doing the best i can and she starts crying I was like man that was just heart-wrenching yeah and like <laughs> that's where i was like we need to protect this girl as much as we can <laughs> Moving right along, back in the present, everybody still puts Ishida on their F-tier list, but he visits an older Nishimiya at the local deaf center. He returns her notebook and tries to apologize for his past actions, but chickens out and asks if they want to be Tomodachi instead. As the two begin a budding friendship, Ishida opens up to another classmate, Nagatsuka Giovanna, whom he saved from a bully attempting to steal the latter's bike. Later on, Ishida is suspended from school after the monster that is social media exposes him jumping into a river to retrieve Nishimiya's notebook. He finds the photographer, Yuzuru, sleeping in a playground, and believing Yuzuru to be Nishimiya's boyfriend, takes them into his home. Yuzuru decides to peace out in the middle of the night, but Ishida escorts Yuzuru home, realizing that it is actually Nishimiya's younger sister, whom she scolded for trying to cancel Ishida. But they become Tomodachi anyways. As Ishida continues his friendship with Nishimiya and begins reuniting with old friends and foes, Nishimiya later gives him a peculiar gift and tries to confess her love for him verbally. But Ishidomas thinks she's talking about the 12 Kizuki of Muzan Kibutsuji, and she runs off in embarrassment. All goes back to somewhat normal, however, as Ishida takes her and their group of friends to an amusement park where a former classmate, Yuen No Good, 
privately confronts Nishimiya on a Ferris wheel for fucking up everyone's friendship with Ishida in the first place. Too bad Yue No Good didn't smile for the camera as Yuzuru secretly recorded the K-drama scene and shows the leaked footage to Ishida. With the fear of getting grouped as one of Nishimiya's former bullies, Ishida's classmate Kawaii Desne outs Ishida's savage past to their high school class, causing Ishida to later blow up at his former tomodachi turned current tomodachi turned former tomodachi again. Ishida subsequently focuses his efforts on his relationship with Nishimiya and Yuzuru, all the more important after the death of their grandmother, but learns that Nishimiya blames herself for, to loosely quote Michael Scott, why Ishida is the way that he is. Really quick, I just want to point out the notable voice actors for the characters in the present. So Ishida is voiced by Miyu Irino, whom both of us might know from as Roddy from Carol and Tuesday. Ah. And I don't know if you know this character, um, Jinta Yadomi from Anohana. Um, okay, I need pictures. Hang on, I'm pulling up Mal. Guys, as you know, I'm <coughs> terrible with names and titles, but if I see his face, I'll know immediately. Oh, shit, yeah, Jinta, he's the main character. <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, As soon as I saw his face, I knew exactly who he was, but I couldn't click, Like, his name wouldn't click for me. So yes, he's the main character of Anohana. Mm, so there you go. Um, another notable voice actor, uh, or Seiyu, I guess, Nishimiya is voiced by Saro, Saori Hayami. She was also from Anohana as Suruko, which I believe is a nickname. Um, okay, hold on, hold on. Let me look this up. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, the glasses check. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's chill. <laughs> um, she also voiced Shinobu from Demon Slayer. And she also voices Rachel or Rahel from Tower of God, but I'll leave it at that. Yep. Oh, and she's also, sorry, I'm, I'm scrolling through her, um, her mal page. It looks like she's also done the voice of, and I just missed it. Where was it? Um, for anyone watching Eden of the East, which I'm actually almost done watching, she plays Saki, the main character. So that's, that's pretty cool. Hmm. So there are three more notable seiyu. Um, Yuzuru, who is Nishimiya's younger sister, is played by Aoi Yuki. Um, you might know her as Froppy from My Hero Academia. And from Rent a Girlfriend, Mami Nanami. Oh my god, Mami Chan. For anyone who who's watched Rent a Girlfriend, Mami Chan. <laughs> well, I, again, I don't know who that is, but I figured you'd get a kick out of that. Um, the Seiyu who plays Sahara is voiced by Yui Ishikawa, who is notable as Mikasa Ackerman in Attack on Titan. Whoa. And the last actor of note uh, is Nagatsuka, um, who is Mineta's cousin in this movie. Um, he is played... Mineta's cousin. <laughs> yeah, because they have the same exact... <laughs> yeah, haircut. purple grape and green grape. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, he is voiced by Kencho Ono, the one and only Giorno Giovanna from Jojo Part 5. I love Kensho Ono. Kensho Ono, Daisuke Ono, and... All the Onos. <laughs> all the Onos. And um, Tomokazu Skita, who voices Joseph Joestar. Sorry, I don't. I couldn't remember his name. Those three are amazing. Yeah. A lot of a lot of Seiyu star power in this movie, which, I re- again, I realized after the fact. Although, Kensho Ono's voice is very distinct, so caught on to that pretty quickly i do want to say that um nagatsuka is best boy he's awesome throughout this whole movie especially when he has that little mustache at the end oh that he grows out yeah of. he was just such 
a Chad. Like he he stuck by Ishida's side, except for in that moment of weakness on the bridge after the fight or whatever. But he stuck by his side at every single point in this film. And I'm like, man, I I want a best friend like Nagatsuka. He's awesome. Yeah, as pudgy and weeby as as he could be, like <laughs> he he represents the, the the loyal friend in this film. And I guess there are like different layers of friends that are represented um, by each character. But yeah, he's he's best friend. <laughs> While we're talking about characters, though, I do want to say that from a movie perspective, I don't get Mashita's point. Like, what was the point of having him? as part of the friend group like as like the outsider right that was yeah but like he had such little screen time and he was such a pointless character overall like he added nothing to the story in in my eyes anyway other than that moment where he and ishida were talking about like you know past bullying and then he was like oh i hate bullying don't you hate bullying too ishida like that was the only thing he offered the story in Mm -hmm. my opinion um, so I don't know, maybe in the manga he played a bigger part, but I didn't, I, I could have, you could have plucked him out of that friend group, plucked him out of the movie. And to me, it would have made no difference. As I mentioned earlier, I think you see different layers of friends in each of the characters, um, that Ishida interacts with. I think, was it Mashiba? Right? Yeah. Mashiba. Like I said, he's kind of like the... Oh, did I say Mashida? Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, You're guys. I meant Mashiba. The, the red-haired guy. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Sorry, Mashiba. I meant Mashiba. Yeah, with the the lazy eyes or whatever. <laughs> um, I get. He, I think he represents that outsider friend to Ishida, who he's not like directly connected with. Um, so it, it's a person that he, along with everyone else, needs to learn to communicate with. Um, but, but like he he just says like not enough happens around him. Where I, I get where they're trying to go with that, mm-hmm. and that could have been a really good like. Um, interaction for him and Ishida, but they don't actually take it there. They yeah. just like imply it, and then they have like one little moment, and then that's it. So I'm like, I didn't need this. Like, I you could have taken those, you know, that 30 seconds that he actually had a moment in the film and use it somewhere else. No, what I was gonna say next is I think his character in this movie also just serves as a big plot device um, because after Yuzu um, records that footage of Ueno talking about how everyone used to bully Nishimiya in the past. Um, that shows Ishida that, you know, like he, he and his group of friends from his former sixth grade class are the only ones that really know about these illicit bullying actions, right? Um, Mashiba is, represents the the high school students in his class that aren't aware of this. And so that, that scene where Mashiba just randomly says to Ishida, like, oh, she, uh, bullying is, is bad, don't you think? That's where Ishida starts to panic because he realizes, like, if anyone finds out about this, they'll they'll alienate me even more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's fair. So, <laughs> yeah, I get. I think in this movie, he's he's just more of a plot device, and I don't know if in the manga he has a, a bigger role. But that's that's how I envisioned him. Um, on the theme of characters, while we're still on this, um, the, the sister. Ishida's sister. We both noticed in the second watch through that they never show her face. Like she's there. You see the back you mean of her Ishida's head. Ishida's sister. I said that, didn't I? Oh, I thought you Wait, meant. What? Uh, I thought you meant Yuzuru. Sorry. <laughs> oh no, no, yeah, Ishida's sister. Um, you know, he she's married to what I assume to be like a some sort of like army, um, military guy. Um, right. Mm-hmm. It's probably like on the naval base um in japan or yeah whatever. that's that's my assumption anyway i don't know anything about this character and then they have maria 
um we see the husband and we see maria but we never see his sister's face like you see the back of her head a couple of times pedro that's his name sorry i'm scrolling through mal his name's pedro oh oh maria's brazilian father maybe we just assumed he was military because he's wearing camo but yes okay so maria's brazilian father i imagine this is much more fleshed out in the manga because to me it just seems like even more so than mashiba like what purpose did they serve? Maria was cute. Don't get me wrong. I want her to stick around in the film. But they show Pedro a couple of times and even give him lines where he has a voice actor. But I'm like, uh, why? Like, is it just it's so weird that they just plop this in there. But maybe it was just to be um, maybe it was in service to the manga readers. Yeah, it's probably more as like a cameo for them to enjoy. Because, yeah, I found out later on that the the film takes has to like cut a lot of things or make alterations just to, to fit within its runtime. Um, but yeah, it's, it's also just strange that you never actually like they intentionally cover his sister's face. Even at the end, if you remember, like it shows shots of each of his friends and his family. And, um, was her name Maria? Yeah. Like Maria, I believe covers Shida's sister's face. So you don't actually see her. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. Was her face covered in the manga? Like, I don't even know. I don't know. All right, well, on to the actual act, act two. Um, first off, the the symbolism, uh, the X's over the faces. I mean, this represents the difficulties that Ishida has with allowing himself to get close to others because, again, he's going through this, like, self-punishment um, because of all the bullying that he did when he was a kid. But I love that they take that a step further and that we see the X's both falling off of faces when he starts to accept and want to be close to people. But then also that the face, the X's are replaced back on faces when he mm-hmm. suddenly feels betrayed or wants to distance himself from somebody again. Um, like at the, I think the amusement park, like Ueno goes from like X on her face. And then as, as Ishida's having fun with the group, the ex falls off of her face and then the second that she tricks him into talking to his old classmate the ex like it's slammed right back on her face again and you know we we don't need such blatant imagery um you know it's that's like it could be considered hand-holding imagery um Mm. because we get it like he he feels a certain way about certain people he has a hard time warming up but i think the way they did it was like very well done it didn't distract me like it it could have been easily distracted especially when you see a crowd a sea of faces with x's over them but i thought it was so well done and the way that it serves um or kind of supports what ishida is going through um kind of showing the extreme of what he's going through it it made sense to me and i i just i love that imagery throughout this latter half of the film and the fact that it's like multitudes of people just it it shows visually how alone he feels um so again to your point it's not distracting but it it gives you a sense of like how broad his his loneliness and his depression is yeah for sure and the other thing i wanted to point out is this kind of underlying theme throughout the second half or sorry not second half second act and and third act um but i think it's a little more prevalent in the second act it's this underlying theme of like quote unquote doing things for yourself but in a selfish way so not like you know diy or some shit like that like you're doing things in a way that's self-serving so for example like a lot of the characters get called out you know for for being nice to somebody only because it's you're being nice to somebody in order to serve yourself 
um, or there's some sort of selfish goal behind it. And I think uh, one character that's very guilty of that is Kawaii. Like she, mm. she acts all innocent and she doesn't partake in the bullying, but not because she doesn't want to be mean to Nishimiya. It's because she wants to continually appear as like this good, perfect girl in the eyes of her classmates. So that is in an, in and of itself is self-serving, even though she also like calls other people. I think she calls Ishida out at one point saying like, you're just doing things for yourself or whatever. I'm like, bitch, you're doing the same thing for yourself. Yeah. So again, that's another representation, representation of like a friend in this group. Um, again, the one who wants to keep that nice image of themselves while kind of looking away at harsh realities. But she, she does have a point, though. And I, I think it's her that calls him out on that. I, I could be wrong, though. But whoever does call him out, like, there is a slight sense, as, as much as I adore Ishida, there is a slight sense that you get that he's trying to befriend Nishimiya and, and, and achieve, or not achieve, obtain her forgiveness so that he can do it in a self-serving way and, and be able to free himself of some of these burdens and some of these emotions that he carries, some of the guilt that he carries. I don't think that's entirely his motive, but I think part of what he's doing, at least in the beginning, because he'll stop and he'll reflect and he'll say, like, is it okay for me to be friends with her again? Mm. Like, do I deserve to be friends with her again? And I think he's trying to to dance on this line of, like, I need to have closure in order to overcome my depression, but also, like, I genuinely want to be friends with Nishimiya and have her in my life. So it's like, is it self-serving at times? Maybe, but I think overall it's it's very genuine and he, he does care about her. One other thing that I noticed about Shida that is kind of coupled with that is there are a lot of instances where he always, or like he puts the blame on himself. Um, one is where he, I think when Yuzuru runs away from his home and it's raining out, he has an umbrella and Yuzuru forces him to use the umbrella himself. But he says, I feel bad for bringing one umbrella. Um, again, that's him trying to reason out like like he he's the person at fault and I, another instance is which is also involved with Yuzuru is when the photo leaks of him jumping into the river um and the guy, it says him suspended at school he puts the blame again on himself um for like i forgot like what he said specifically but um he just says like it's it's not Yuzuru's fault at that point so i think that's just how much the effect of him bullying Shimia and then ref feeling the consequences of that have reflected on him so much that he constantly sees everything as being his fault. And that's another parallel because when we, um, in the beginning of the film, when we see them as kids, Ishida calls her like gross. Like he says, like Kimochi Warui, like you're gross, you're creepy because you never get mad about anything. Like people are picking on you, people are teasing you, but you never get mad. Why don't you ever get mad? Um, and then now here he is going th through the exact same thing. Um, and people are asking him, why do you never get mad? Why don't you get upset at these things? So yeah, another another parallel between them. Mm -hmm. And even the point where um, he realizes at the fair or at the amusement park that he has a group of friends again and that he's enjoying himself. But again, he doubts if it's okay to him for him to have this fun or to have these friends. It's like, it's it's... It always seems like too good to be true for him. And then obviously, like everything comes crumbling down in the next two scenes. Yeah, no, and that's it's great that you mentioned that because I, I did want to call out the amusement park um, scene specifically because I love the scene. Like to your point, when Ishida asks himself if it's okay to have fun like this, it's so incredibly heartbreaking. 
Um, because for so many years, again, he's been punishing himself after what he did to Nishimiya um, and with all of his bullying that he's convinced himself that he must pay for it for the rest of his life by being alone and not being allowed to be happy. And this is why he decided, again, at the beginning of the movie to end his life because he feels like his life has no value due to those past choices. Mm -hmm. So in this scene, he starts to realize that through the people he's allowing himself to get close to, he can then allow himself to feel some sort of happiness. But then, you know, he kind of reverts back at certain points. Um, and, and that makes sense. Like, it's not just going to be, you know, a 180 and suddenly you're all happy. Like, depression is a struggle. It takes mm -hmm. time. It takes effort. Um, and, you know, we, we see him flip-flop quite a number of times in this movie. Yeah, I think overall, like, we'll as we see with the blow up, he just finds it so difficult to escape his past, no matter how hard he tries, that his his solution at that point is to just push everyone away, which obviously we know does not work in his favor. But then once he starts connecting more with Nishimiya after that point, he starts to realize that she also shares a lot of the same sentiments as he does. Whereas he like he he tries to you know, cheer her up or I think he says like he doesn't want to make Nishimiya cry anymore. But I think in the foot in the leaked footage where she's talking to or UN is talking to her and says how much she hates Nishimiya, Nishimiya tells her, like, I don't hate you, I hate myself. Um, which it again is a very powerful statement because in my eyes, Nishimiya has done no wrong <laughs> in this movie. Um but here you see more and more of the parallels between her and Ishida. And I think even she says straight up to him when they're out in the country, uh, in the countryside that she thinks Ishida will be unhappy if he stays with her because she sees herself as so much of a burden on his life at this point. The other major scene um, or part of this act is the summer break portion. And I think I think maybe the amusement park is like technically part of summer break. I'm not sure. But then they, they actually do say at one point like, oh, we're going into summer break, blah, 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 blah. Um, and during this part, Ishida sings that song about wanting to be loved and that even monsters have hearts um, and comments whether there's any way to get over, quote unquote, this. Because he, he just says like, is there any way to go get over this? He doesn't say specifically what he's referring to. And I think he means his depression. And we see him after that, like insisting to spend a lot of time with Nishimiya and Yuzuru. And while he does spend time with them, he acts over the top happy and mm. um, and just acts very out of character, probably to try and like desperately overcome his depression. Like he's really trying to just force it down by over in like overcompensating by being like extra happy. And I just, oh my God, like that, that was probably one of the hardest scenes for me to watch because again, it's a very fun, lighthearted scene and they're all having fun. He's like extra happy, but you know, the root of all of that is because he's struggling so hard with everything that, that he's um, been through and continues to go through. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to call that scene out too, because I thought that was so well done. Like they never made it blatantly obvious that he's trying to refer to, or that he is referring to his depression. And they don't make it blatantly obvious that he's struggling with it. Like they don't show him like crying or some dramatic scene or even an inner monologue saying like, I'm so unhappy right now. Why can't I just be happy? There's nothing like that. It's just him in the dark room reflecting, kind of questioning what he's going through. And then you see the after effect in those moments with the two girls. So I thought that was extra well done. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make about that because 
kind of go off of that. I think what the movie does so well is that it shows like, like these are valid feelings that I'm sure a lot of people who go through depression um, experience. Again, like having these happy facades when you're hang, like hanging out with friends to kind of combat the, the true sadness that you feel inside. Um, but I also like that it presents these different facets of dealing with depression in a way where it, it kind of shows you like this, this really isn't how you should deal with it. And that ultimately in the end, when we see Nishida finally open up to Nishimiya by apologizing to her and asking her to, to like reconcile with their past and to move on, um, the way that they present that as like, as the strongest option out of lifting yourself out of this bad funk. Um, again, it's, it's not like, overly in your face at all but it's just presented in a way that's that's malleable i guess yeah and that kind of triggered like a thought in my head again around the the title a silent voice and what we were talking about like what that actually means and that the silent voice is the depression that someone struggles with we go through the this entire movie not even really knowing that nishimiya has that level of depression until Mm -hmm. she gets up goes home and tries to kill herself like that's pretty that's pretty jarring. Um, but I think that's intentional because, you know, nobody realizes that Ishida has this depression except for his mom, um, probably because she's so close to him. She can see some of his behaviors. And it's like it's scary because Nishimiya and Ishida become so close and Ishida is going through depression, yet he doesn't even see it. He can't even pick up on the fact that she has depression and that she's you know thinking about you know committing suicide. And I think that that plays very heavily into a silent voice. Like it is, it is something that I imagine is very difficult to just come out and say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very scary to accept it, and and you know it's it's probably scary to to struggle through it. So I just I don't know when you were talk, talking through that, it kind of made me think like shit. Like we didn't even realize till the very end of the movie. At the same time that Ishida finds out that like Nishima wants to kill herself. Mm-hmm. Also, Ishida is stupid because. <laughs> <laughs> Like, as much as he didn't understand Shimia um, saying, like, she loves him verbally, like, get a cue, man. Like, pick up the <laughs> clues. She gives you his gift. And then why the fuck would she be talking about the moon at that point? Well, okay. <laughs> and I'll talk about this in my gripes. I don't want to dive too deep mm-hmm. into it. But I think it made sense in that moment. Like, they're trying to show us that she's trying to say ski. I mm-hmm. like you. And he thinks that she's saying Suki, yeah. the moon. And like that, that, that whole thing was just to show us that he still, even though they're, they're becoming closer, he still struggles to understand her. Mm-hmm. And I think that does play into the fact that he was totally shocked by her, her attempt at suicide. Because again, he still struggles to understand her. Everyone struggles to understand her to be, you know, quite, quite frank. And that's why she feels so alone and so empty. Mm-hmm. Because I think if, if there was somebody who fully understood her, that may have changed the course of this movie, perhaps. Yeah, that makes sense. But I think we both share similar gripes about this movie, so we'll, we'll save that for the last act. The last thing I want to mention about the second act is Ueno is a bitch. Bitch! <laughs> like, holy shit. I don't know why she's why these people are still friends with her by the end of the, uh, end of the movie, but... Again, I think she just represents that that friend who, who's a wild card. Yeah. Um, who will occasionally backstab you or just talk occasionally be- or like just talk behind your back. But God, I fucking hated her. 
Moving on into the final act. In one of the film's most pivotal scenes, Ishida attends a fireworks festival with Nishimiya and her family, but she heads home early intending to get some study time in. Ishida inadvertently follows her back intending to retrieve Yuzuru's camera, but finds Nishimiya on the verge of an heroing off the apartment balcony. He grabs her just in time, but takes a barrel roll into the river below during the rescue and slips into a coma. Hoping to help her beleaguered friend, Nishimiya attempts to patch up everything with their former Tomodachi turned current Tomodachi. Nishimiya later has a nightmare about Ishida saying farewell before heading to the great beyond, which prompts her to head to the bridge where they bonded over feeding carp and collapses in a heap of anime tears. Ishida conveniently wakes up from his coma at this exact moment and meets with her on the bridge, finally giving her the apology he couldn't muster up at the start of the film and asking her to stop blaming herself and to susume with him as Tomodachi, to which she wholeheartedly agrees. Ishida returns to the school in the midst of its bunkasai, and although terrified of not being accepted, his former Tomodachi turned current Tomodachi welcome him with open arms. As they embark for the festivities, X no longer marks the spot on everyone's faces, and Ishida sheds tears of joy as he finally redeems himself and discovers that maybe the real treasure was the Tomodachi he made along the way. I would say as lovely as the scene was between Nishimiya and Ishida when they're both at the bridge at night and he wakes up, um, you know, in the hospital, that had to be the most far-fetched moment of the entire film. Mm -hmm. Like the whole film is pretty like decently realistic and then that moment happens and I'm like, damn, I want to love this moment so bad and I do. But I can't fully love it because I'm like, this is not the same as like the rest of the the level of believability throughout this movie. I mean, who the fuck wakes up out of a coma and takes off all of their like, I don't even know what they are, like the tubes and shit that are on him. Yeah. And no one fucking knows about it. There's no those there's no nurses that are wandering around. I mean, it's like pitch black in the hospital. I'm like, there's got to be some staff on the floor and no one sees him leave. And he happens to just go and, and that's fine. Like if he if he happens to wake up because there's this like spiritual connection between him and Nishimiya in that moment, that's fine. But the fact that he can just wander out of the hospital is like totally unbelievable to me. I, I like that I just like I couldn't I, I couldn't handle it. <laughs> yeah. That's where you kinda have to sus- suspend disbelief. And I've said this before, this is where you start to realize that you're watching an anime or nonetheless an anime film. Because this scene just felt like, you know, that tropey running to get the girl scene, which I think I'm pretty sure we saw that in Weathering With You. Yeah. And and like, I don't remember if I'm pretty sure this also happened in Your Name. And again, like, I want to love this scene because it's a beautiful scene. It's probably the most intimate scene we have between the two main characters. But just everything surrounding it was like, this was probably the the most dramatic and like unrealistic part of the whole movie. So it was just weird. Like I feel like they probably if they had stuck to the same level of believability and the same style of writing for this part, it would have been like spot on. It would have been like the best part of the whole fucking movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I want to talk about this scene a little bit more, but just to kind of backtrack, uh, going back to the fireworks festival. Um. I thought one of the more impactful shots of this scene is the shot of Nishimiya standing in silence in the midst of this festival because um, throughout that whole scene, there's a montage where it's juxtaposed with scenery of, you know, the festival's hustle and bustle where people are 
going up to the food stands, enjoying themselves, enjoying the food. Um, and then you have the fireworks going off in the distance, but there's a single shot of her looking up at the sky, I think, and there's just complete silence. And I think that's just another example of symbolism in this movie where it, it kind of shows like there's there's an this is like a clear ominous sign for the traumatic event that's about to come. And it also shows how alone that she feels, right? Like mm-hmm. she's surrounded by crowds of people and there's so much noise and excitement going around around her and she can't hear any of it. And again, that's a parallel to Ishida because he's also in this the same situation, but while we don't see it, we can assume he doesn't quote unquote hear any of it because he's closed himself off from the world. So like he chooses to not hear it and Nishimiya um, literally can't hear it. Like not per her choice, but she just, you know, can't hear it because of her disability. Mm-hmm. And then obviously she goes to the apartment to to do the deed. Um, and thankfully Ishida arrives in time to, to stop her. Um, this is kind of a little bit of small humor i like how he removes his shoes first before he tries to save her yeah <laughs> it's like that's that polite japanese culture he's so thing. he's just so wonderful <laughs> but i think there's there's one shoe that's still on his foot um when he does save her so he only got one shoe off i actually love that because i think that shows like it takes like, it takes him a second to realize what the fuck's going on like that's such mm-hmm. an intense moment i mean can you even imagine like if you were in that that moment like i don't think your brain would just immediately switch on and say shit i gotta spring into action like most anime shows us though like suddenly you know the characters can can switch their brain on and be like you know op as fuck that's Mm -hmm. not realistic so i think him like seeing that and like processing it at the same time he goes from like thinking okay i need to remove my shoes before i enter the home to like oh shit this is serious like leave the other shoe on let's just go Mm mm-hmm and then the fact that like he runs into I think a chair or the table and has that stumble, and, like you're just on the edge of your own seat, wondering if he'll make it. And then you get the shot to her, and you see like the drapes, like fade off, and like you no longer see her on the balcony. But then you see her grabbing her by the wrist. Him um, grabbing her. Him grabbing her by the wrist, and thankfully rescuing her. Um, that was nice, but then obviously he slips into the coma. But the one thing I wanted to point out here, just as with the beginning, um, this this traumatic event is signal is signaled by fireworks, and here the fireworks are again like the catalyst for preventing this traumatic suicidal event, um, where just like Ishida in the beginning, Nishimiya comes to this sudden realization of the error of her option of trying to commit suicide. Almost like how, if you imagine it, fireworks are like this sudden burst of light and sound. So it's like the this visual representation of both of these characters realizing that this isn't the correct way to deal with these, like these depressing emotions. Yeah, and I think um, because after he he leaves the hospital, um, he does talk a little bit about how I don't know if it was at that point or, or a little bit later. He he how he realizes that suicide it was not the answer is not the answer um and he realizes how it feels on his end to possibly lose someone important to him 
Um, I think he understands that like his struggles aren't necessarily worth dying for. Like there are other mm. ways to overcome that. And of course, you know, he needs to keep his promise to God because he was like, please come Sama. I'll do all these things if you just help me <laughs> lift Nishimiya back up onto the balcony. And God's like, okay, do it. <laughs> so now I want to circle back to the pivotal or the climactic scene at the bridge um, just to highlight even more symbolism. Um after Nishimiya wakes up from her nightmare and she runs towards the bridge, musically I noted that the piano in this scene is no longer muted in the score. Um, and so if you're anyone who's interested on the soundtrack, this song is called SLT, again by the composer Kensuke Ushio. And just a side note, the titles of each song on the soundtrack, they're only three letters that don't make any coherent words. And so I think um, the composer, Kensuke's intent was it's up to the listener to kind of interpret what the words are that he's expressing. So, yeah, it represents how, like, the characters of the film are struggling to learn how to communicate with Nishimiya. It's Um, things like that that I think lend to how beautiful this movie is. It mm -hmm. reminds me of Attack on Titan. No spoilers for Attack on Titan, but how how well and how tightly written it is. Um, the attention to detail, even in like the tiniest little things, or JoJo, again, no spoilers for JoJo, but the attention to detail that David Productions has, uh, if you listen to Strictly JoJo, you guys know how much we we love that, and we'll talk mm-hmm. about it all the time on that podcast, but the attention to detail in, in that show, I mean, it just lends to the fact that there's such a strong um, fandom and such a strong passion for these shows. It's the same with this movie. I mean, if you're going to add that level of detail where the soundtrack has titles that don't have any clear titling and, and allows the the, the the user, the, the listener. listener, to more experience the music um, rather than just be told what it's about. Like, that's how you make an amazing movie like this. That's how you, everything just comes together because you can see the passion behind every person on the staff um, to make those types of choices in order to just like bring everything full circle and make it like one full experience. I just, I could, I can't get over that. I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And so again, like there, some of the tracks, um, I'm just looking at one now. There's one called HTB, which was supposed to represent the word heartbeat. Um, there are instances of tracks called INV. So apparently the score uses parts of Invention Number no. 1 in C Major by Johann Sebastian Bach, for any of you classical nerds out there. Um, there are a lot of instances of the song being used throughout the film, but they're very stilted uh, portions of the song and how they're played, and those are meant to represent sort of Ishida's journey in overcoming his guilt and learning how to communicate with Nishimiya. But with this track in particular, again, SLT, I can't for the life of me figure out what word this is i keep thinking silent oh it might be see i was thinking salt or (laughs) salty as fuck yeah the other word is slut but i don't think that applies at all to this movie yeah i don't think slut or salt (laughs) Um, (laughs) makes sense here yeah just the fact that again the piano's sound opens up at this part and you start to hear violin i think it represents that this connection between nishimiya and Ishida, it hasn't reached the breaking point, but it's finally reached this sort of synchronization point where, again, with the symbolism of the bridge, it's them finally connecting with each other and Ishida 
finally musters up the courage to communicate with her and to apologize to her for his past actions um, when he was bullying her um, back in the sixth grade. And on the flip side, he asks her to not blame herself for for him turning out the way that he did and asking her to like continue living onward, putting these or like kind of reconciling with the past, but learning to move on from that. So it sounds like that that track is more of a full sound, mm-hmm. kind of like like maybe their hearts are full because now they're able to communicate on a better level and they're starting to open up to the world around them and not feel so empty and alone. Mm-hmm. You know, look at me trying to be this like musical analyst here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, again, another just a brilliant use of the score in this movie. And there's one more instance, but I'll, I'll save that for the very end. Two other quick samples of symbolism in this final act. Uh, you have Yuzuru who gets one of her photos. It wins this, I guess, prefectural photography contest. And contest. Contest. <laughs> um, and throughout the film, we see that she, she takes photos of dead things, which is kind of odd. <laughs> okay, usually, let's talk about this. Usually if a kid is taking pictures of dead things, they're probably like, on the cusp of becoming a serial killer mm. or some shit. Like, usually you want to look into that, but maybe their mom has her hands full already with having to deal with all the people bullying her poor daughter. Yeah. But the photo that ends up winning, um, and I noticed this the second time around, I believe there was a photo. The first photo that user took was of this, this dead bird on the ground. But this is a follow-up photo where you see foliage growing around the spot where this bird died. Um, so it's kind of like, <laughs> I'm going to take an office quote here, like hope grows in a dump. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but like, it, it's, it's like beauty coming out of these, these sorrowful situations. And you, you see that with Ishida <laughs> and Nishimiya finally coming to terms with their past and learning to grow from it. Um, and if you remember the second other symbolism here, Nishimiya's gift to Ishida were these like three sticks with animal figures at the top of them. And we see, um, Maria use them um, as plant decor. So here again, it's like friends that are blooming in a garden. Um, and now that, that, that garden of friendship is, is growing. Okay, to be fair, I also would be super fucking confused if someone gave me those because I'm not into gardening and I would be like, what are these animals on sticks? What am I supposed to do with them? So Mm. as cute as that gift is, I don't think there was any chance that Ashita would know what the fuck that was. Yeah. Um, What else? What else did I notice? (laughs) You know, again, UNO, the bitch she is, learned enough sign language to say baka. So that that that's kind of redeeming for her character, I guess. Yeah, but, I guess. <laughs> um, but that's all I'll say about her. But again, with the final scene where um, Nishimiya and his friends, or Ishida, <laughs> God, I'm gonna keep confusing their names. Uh, Ishida and his friends walk around the the bunkasai, and you see him uh, physically open up his ears. And the world starts coming alive. And as you mentioned, uh, the X's fall off. The music here is similar to the music from 
the the bridge the climactic bridge scene because it, it swells so much that it's not muted and it becomes more triumphant and the title of the song used in this scene is lit lit um the shit's lit <laughs> or it's called lit um parentheses var like variation because i think there's only one other time that this um this melodic motif is used um if you listen to the piano though it sounds a lot like the intro to beautiful by christina aguilera i played it for you earlier <laughs> yeah you played it's... them back to back and <laughs> shit they really do sound alike but again this is just more credit to kensuke ushio and his score where while the muted piano was a reflection of nishimiya's perception of the world due to her inability to hear the muted piano represents ishida's lost and burdened soul as well but with this song it shows that his soul is suddenly bursting with joy as the final score picks up because again he's he's found a way out of his depression and can learn to fully live his life without being hampered down by the the sins of his past yeah i i love the I, I love the ending with an asterisk, um, which we'll talk about in a second. But again, that imagery of him uncovering his ears, listening, and most importantly, hearing, that was super important. Um, mm-hmm. And at the same time, all those X's falling off of everyone's faces. Yeah, I, I agree. That's the that's the moment that he starts to... He obviously won't overcome his depression, but that's the moment that he realizes it's possible through you know support and through love and and friends and family like it is possible to overcome his depression so yeah i think the end um and just the the focus on him in that moment was great Mm -hmm. like i i think if anyone else like if any of the characters came up said oh why are you crying or like interacted with him in that moment (laughs) what the fuck's going on why are you crying i think if any of them did that it would have ruined that moment but because i mean this has been his journey alone throughout his like you know o- older years i guess he's in high school whatever like his his later years um it would have felt very i don't know like it would not have been aligned to the way the story was told if anyone went through this moment with him the fact that he goes through this moment by himself because he's been struggling through this by himself i think was very triumphant mm-hmm. um and such a fantastic like character moment or like peak of the character arc um so yeah i i love the way that the the ending was was done for for his story but alas as much as we can shower our praises on this movie there are certain gripes that we have with it so i have three gripes um i don't know should should i talk about them and you let me know if you have similar gripes or how how do you want to do this yeah because there's only one true gripe i have with this movie and i think we both share it but i'd like to hear your thoughts as well okay let me start like with the the smallest gripe to the biggest gripe so my smallest gripe which is still a pretty big gripe is ueno ueno never learns her fucking lesson Mm. or really feels the consequences of her actions at all and that just pissed me off like she claims she feels guilt but that's quickly refuted through how she treats Nishimiya over and over again, even after they're they're older. Like she's more mad that she felt that she had to bully Nishimiya as if it was like Nishimiya's fault for her behavior causing Uena to feel like she had to like push her away and stuff. So I'm like, 
Ueno, did I say Ueno? Ueno mm-hmm. never takes full responsibility for her actions ever, even in the final moments. She's still a bitch. Like, I get they're trying to play it off like it's cutesy. Like, oh, you know, that's just how she is. You know, she's rough around the edges, but she's really a member of this group. But did she ever fucking apologize to Nishimiya? Did she ever apologize to Ishida? Like, she never apologizes mm-hmm. to anybody. And then she's still acting, like, kind of snarky in that moment. And everyone just brushes it off. And, like, that's fucking annoying. I mean, that's fine if that's how you want to, like, deal with somebody. But, like, for me, I I did not enjoy that. And I wanted her to have that moment. Like, everyone else had that moment, right, where they they understood the impact of their their behavior or them not taking action, looking at you, Kawaii. But in this moment, it's like, Ueno never has that. She never has that redemption. And it just makes me feel like, I don't know, like there's something missing there. Like it kind of takes, it, it sours the ending just a little bit. Yeah, Ueno's a bitch. <laughs> that, that's all I can chalk, or I can chalk it up to. But um, yeah, it's weird because a lot, like the other characters all go through this arc of, you know, finally forgiving Ishida and reconciling again with um, Nishimiya. But I guess Ueno represents the less extreme case of that sort of forgiveness or that change in a person, which again, that that's still a realistic thing. Some people are just not prone to, to change as quickly as others. The only real evidence you see of that is, and she finally learns how to... Um, use sign language but again it's for a word it's for an insulting word that she uses on Nishimiya so it it's a start but again there's no like like you said there's no real apology or um request for forgiveness on Ueno's part I think the worst thing of all um with Ueno is when she's at um Ishida's bedside every day like staying with him in the hospital and then like purposely keeps Nishimiya out of the room. That to me was just like of all the things. Now don't get me wrong, the bullying was terrible. Her beating up Nishimiya was terrible. But I think of all the things that got me the most, it was that part because I'm like, who do you think you are? And though we've been quoting the Office a lot this episode, you know, in the words of Michael, in the words of Michael Scott, who do you think you are? What, what gives, gives you, you the right? right? <laughs> and that's what I thought the whole time. And I'm like man like and and then like people go and tell Ishida like oh Ueno was at your your side the entire time as if like she needs to be praised and like you know congratulated for being a, a fantastic person it just it just irked me a lot and I get what you're saying that yeah she's she represents the the person who's gonna need a little more time mm-hmm. to change but like give me a little bit more just give me a little bit more of like shining moments of Ueno so that I can feel like there is some ability to redeem her character. Yeah, even just like a brash gomenasai. Yeah, seriously. Um, Kind of coupled with that, she mentions at one point to Ishida after he leaves the hospital that um, his two old friends that uh, from junior high or from sixth, sixth grade or whatever the fuck it was, mm-hmm. um, they're the ones who saved him from the river when he fell in. Because you see that that quick flash where, like, there's the ambulance and the cop car, and you see those two friends. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, we never got any closure on that. Like, there was nothing. Like, that was it. That's all we got about the two friends. That plus the amusement park part where he goes to buy the takoyaki. Yeah. And I'm guessing this is another instance where manga readers are privy to, like, a more flushed out 
story with the two friends from sixth grade but us you know being anime only people we are only going to get that little cameo that little nod to that part in the manga um and we're never going to kind of see anything else unless we read it that's my assumption anyway so that kind of confused me the second watch through because i didn't even pick up on it the first time i watched it although they only she only mentions the one friend um shimada who was the the vendor at the takoyaki stand but i thought the brunette guy was standing next to him when they flashed like the oh, no, that was oh wait was it i could be wrong it was really fast yeah, i would have to go back and look I, I wouldn't know but i only remember you know mentioning um shimada who gets more screen time than the other friend the other gripe or the second gripe um that i have going in like from least to to biggest gripe is the romance and I, I think you mentioned this to me um, mm-hmm. prior to this recording. They never go anywhere with the romance, at least in the anime. And I know, I know, I know the romance is not the focus of this movie. But we clearly see that Nishimiya is in love with Ishida. And I really wish they explored this more. It didn't have to be a focal point. But like even just a small kind of like underlying story or small underlying arc of this romance would have been perfectly fine for me. And... In this case, with this movie, the romance is a plot device, as we mentioned earlier, to show the, us that Ishida is still having difficulties understanding Nishimiya when you know she spoke using her voice instead of sign language. Mm-hmm. And I understand that we don't really see any romantic feelings from Ishida to Nishimiya throughout this movie, but in my head canon, I fully believe that they get together, okay? You can't tell me otherwise. <laughs> you can have your other opinion, but man, my head canon firmly is that mm-hmm. they get together sometime after this movie um and i think we didn't see much of a romance here like we could have i think they're very compatible i think they could be together but i think the reason we didn't see much romance is because again ishida has closed himself off from being close with anybody and establishing relationships so he first needs to overcome this before he can be ready to accept feelings from nishimiya and have you know a more like close intimate relationship so while I, I do wish they explored the romance more, part of me feels I can accept it because it may have been a little out of character depending on how they, they wrote that out um, for Ishida to feel anything towards anybody else. However, I still wish they found a way to do it. I still wish there was more to that romance because I think the two of them are awesome. Yeah, I think that was my biggest gripe with the movie. I just needed more of the ship <laughs> ship them yeah, ship them to ship death. them and make it canon um but yeah i mean you get a, a slight hint of that at the very end of the movie the last shot because it shows as uh ishida is crying his eyes out um you get shots of all of his family and friends but the very last shot is of nishimiya's face so that was like an awe kind of moment yeah like she's the most important person to him mm-hmm. and there's a reason for that and and again, I don't know, I just felt weird that Nishimiya clearly has feelings for him, confesses. Yeah, it doesn't quite work out, but then, like, we just forget about that. Like, those feelings don't just go away. I'm sure yeah. Nishimiya still has those feelings towards him throughout this entire movie, but there's not a real mention of it. Yeah, and again, to your earlier point, I, like, I also understand, like, it for them to have suddenly gone to this romantic route, um, wouldn't have been in service to the bigger story at hand so it's something that i i can personally deal with and you know as as much as you like your headcanon i had to just dive into researching what happens in the manga because apparently like the the manga um 
it has a almost like an epilogue ending that the the film itself doesn't pick up on and I know the film also just made a lot of significant alterations from the manga because there was actually an arc revolving around a student film project that all the friends get involved in that they kind of just had to rewrite um, for the film. But, and I don't mean to spoil anyone who hasn't read the manga. or I know, we're about to do manga spoilers. <laughs> now I'm nervous. Um, but the manga also leaves Nishimiya's and Nishida's ultimate relationship status pretty vague i'll just leave it at that okay interesting well then i'm definitely not reading the <laughs> <fucking> manga <laughs> um but yeah it's it's just the, the the romantic in me that would have loved to see that and oh yeah because this movie's so beautiful mm-hmm. having like again it doesn't have to be the focus in fact to a certain degree, you could argue the disability is not even the focus of the movie. It's the depression and the thoughts of suicide and struggling and trying to overcome that. That's the focus of this movie. Mm-hmm. So I, I certainly would not want them to make this big romantic arc, you know, a, a key part of, of the plot. But yeah, to what to what you're trying to say is like, just give us a little bit more. Give us breadcrumbs at least. Mm-hmm. Like give us breadcrumbs of like feelings starting to develop, especially after... Um, Ishida leaves the hospital and he starts to, you know, open up more to people. Like, give us something. God, please. Kamisama, give us something. Mm -hmm. Now I have to rely on fan art, okay? Watching, like, not watching, (laughs) but looking up, like, cute pictures of the two of them. Like, what if, what if they got together? Not what if, when they get together. Mm -hmm. They are (laughs) together. I'm such a fucking weeb about this. (laughs) My last gripe is about the ending and i would say this is probably my biggest gripe of the movie um i think this coupled with the other two gripes is what keeps me from saying this is a i don't want to say perfect movie because nothing's ever perfect but a near perfect movie Mm -hmm. the ending is incredibly abrupt we get some resolution where ishida again finally opens up gains confidence and is ready to be ready to be close to people again and then it ends it just ends and i'm like man this is a thing in anime so let me let me just share this no post credit scene like in <laughs> nothing Ishida will return in the avengers <laughs> like anime is almost always focused on the journey and hardly the destination and this is another example of it but god damn it sometimes i really want to see more of the destination like take romance anime for example like not to harp more on the romance piece of this but like just just the way that things abruptly end romance anime is so guilty of this there's such an emphasis on the journey that oftentimes you don't get the destination until the last like 10 fucking minutes of the very last episode of a series and oftentimes i'm like well shit i'm glad the two main characters or the two characters finally got together in this romance anime but i'd also like to see where their relationship goes i'd also like to see what happens afterwards and it's the same feeling with this like Again, not not focusing on the romance piece of it, but just the the story. I mean, we we follow Ishida's journey from the very beginning, and we get to literally the end, and then it just cuts off. And I'm like, like, can I see some happy faces that he's overcoming his depression? Can I see like that triumphant moment of him being like, guys, I'm feeling better now, or I'm ready to talk about this? Like, I just I, I need that closure. Like, mm. 
I'm sure like his mom would have an amazing reaction to him being ready to kind of, you know, tackle his depression head on um, or just, you know, him saying like, Nishimiya, you've been through this too. You have depression too. Like, I feel like I'm ready to start moving forward. I'd like to help you to start moving forward. Like you get none of that. It just fucking ends. And I'm like, no, please. I want more. It feels like a cliffhanger ending. I think that's my problem is like, if you've been listening to us long enough, you know I cannot stand cliffhangers. And this kind of feels like a cliffhanger ending. And I I wish it didn't. I really wish it didn't. Yeah, I think even when I watched the movie, um, like I said, the last shot is Nishimiya. And then the movie just cuts to black. And then it shows the, the Shape of Voice title card again. And in my head, I remember thinking, that's it? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's it? Um, which is weird because, as I mentioned earlier, I kind of looked into what the manga how it kind of deviated from the 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 film's adaptation of the story and it it has an epilogue it has this sort of epilogue ending which brings a little bit uh more closure to these characters um because again not to to spoil it too much but it's basically it follows the character's lives after they graduate from high school and you don't you only get like a taste of it but i think for them if they had even attacked that those scenes on as as a post-credits epilogue i think that would have served the movie well while still keeping the original ending as it it keeps that ending symbolic right because that's the point of the movie is ishida's journey to to finally coming to terms with with his depression but to just add that as a as a nice you know MCU post credit scene um, <laughs> would have given us at least a little bit more closure in that sense. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I give it the rating that I give it, which I'm sure we'll talk about next. And I'm sure it's still a very high rating. <laughs> so, but yeah, a great way to segue into our our final thoughts for. A silent voice. So how many Tomodachis out of 10 would you give this movie? I would give it a confident 9.5 out of 10. Um, I would give it a 10 out of 10 because I love this movie, as I said earlier. But it is those, those I would say the, the two main gripes of like the romance piece and then the abrupt ending. Um, and then kind of like side note to that is Ueno just being fucking annoying the whole time that that make me feel like this isn't a near perfect movie. It's like almost a near perfect movie. Cause I try not to say like perfect because literally no piece of work is ever going to be perfect. Um, so I don't want to like, I think it's unfair to try and make that a, um, a, a benchmark, mm. but yeah, so I, I would give it a 9.5 out of 10. Of course on my anime list, you can't do half points. So I gave it a nine cause I don't like to round up. I think that that's misleading. So, cause then I, then I'd be giving it a 10 out of 10. It'd be perfect, but that's not how I actually feel. So my rating would be 9.5, but on Mal, I put nine. What about you? So I, I kind of wrestled with this rating because again, I'm scared. The, the romantic in me would have <laughs> loved to see these, these two characters come together, but thinking more about what the message of the movie is or what message it's trying to convey I decided to give it 
nine tomodachis. Wow, I actually you're gonna give it lower than that because no. before before we started recording, you were kind of alluding to not liking it nearly as much as me. Still liking mm. it, but not nearly as much as me. So I was like, oh god, here we here we go. No, I, at the first watch through, I that was where I had established a lower rating, but after watching it a second time and kind of sleeping on it, um, I thought a nine would give it the credit it deserves. Um, to briefly talk about like the visuals, it's not like an extremely visually stunning film compared to something like Your Name, but I think visually it does enough not to distract you from, again, the core message of the film's story. But I still got to give major props to KyoAni for their impressive work on the film. Yeah, clean, clean, clean mm-hmm. animation as always. And again, they were doing ray tracing before the PS5 did any ray tracing. <laughs> but I think a lot of my score is weighted towards the poignant lesson that this movie um, teaches in learning how to forgive ourselves and learn from past mistakes while moving forward and trying to become a better person. And it also conveys the lesson in practicing, you know, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have done unto you, and how instead of shunning or ridiculing the people and things that we don't understand, that we instead learn how to humanize and empathize with them in whatever way works best. As I've said, I would have liked to have seen a more romantic resolution to Ishida and Ishimiya's relationship, Ishidia. Ishidia, yeah, that's their couple name. <laughs> um, since it was just so strongly hinted at throughout the film. But again, the more I thought about it, the more I understood how this wasn't the focal point of the film's message. And I think that is summed up in a quote that Hawaii says to, um, I think she says it to Nishimiya after um, Nishimiya tries to get all the gang back together during uh, Ishida's coma, which is, you have to love the bad parts of yourself and move forward, which I think is is a quote that we can all live by because we've all had our own past mistakes, but we don't let that define who we are as a person. We just have to keep moving on. And on that point, all in all, A Silent Voice is just, it's a simple but a beautiful film that just reflects on what it means to be human, which is to be flawed, but always striving to be better than you were the day before. So that is why I would give this a nine. The last point would have been for the romantic touch. <laughs> but it, it's it's still a terrific film overall. Yeah. I could gush on and on about it. I won't because you, you as the listener, have listened to us gush about this for well over an hour now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Props to you for making it to the end of our A Silent Voice review. With and, our loud voices. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully you enjoyed this movie as much as we did. Or I don't know. If not, give it another watch. Yeah. Heads up. I think at the time of this recording um silent voice is on netflix but i believe it will be leaving the streaming service um early um next month in june i think it's like june 4th right yeah because we watched on netflix and then we, we got to the end of the credits and all of a sudden netflix was like oh by the way this is going away i'm like oh my god yeah it's just kind of sad but if you do have netflix i strongly or we strongly encourage all of you to to give this um a watch through before it leaves Um, Because it is definitely worth the watch. And that wraps up episode 37 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday. 
Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on the anime we review. You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.